It's action-oriented. So if you claim to be a Christ follower, I have the right to say to you, show me. You say you believe, show me. Show me your faith by your actions, because real faith is something you do. Last week we talked about, um, we dared you to move spiritually. And we said that, that commitments define your life. And we said that every person was created for certain commitments. God has this plan for people to be committed. And, and see, here's the deal. Every person is created by God, but not every person in the world is a child of God. That's because becoming a child of God is a choice that you have to make. So you were put on this planet by God, your Creator, for three commitments. And the first one we said, you were created to commit your life to Christ. The reason you're here is God wants you to discover who He is and then give your life to Christ. And when you do that, you choose to move into God's family. But see, because you're moving into God's family, you have some family responsibilities, so God expects you to commit to the local church too. That's the second commitment. And then the third one we said, you will not grow if you don't commit to spiritual growth. And so three commitments that will totally transform your life. We said that, that God speaks to us through the Bible, His Word, and through His people. And if you're not spending any time in the Bible and with God's people, you will never, say that word, never. never. You will never know God's will for you. And you will never grow spiritually. So what we've been doing is we're daring you to get up out of this recliner and do something. And today we're going to talk about finances. So let's get it over with. Everybody groan. Oh. No, 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 that was weak. I know you're thinking it. All right, so let's all groan. Ready? Oh, thank you. That was good, Caleb. You don't even have that many finances and you're groaning, so yeah, good job. Now, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Give me 30 minutes. Listen with an open mind, and at the end of that 30 minutes, you can decide whether I've wasted your time or not. If this message comes from me, blow it off. Dude doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a preacher. can't trust him when talking about money anyway. But if the message is from God, maybe you should do something about it. Fair enough? Let's launch into it. Let's start with a couple of things I know about your money. Some of you are going, oh no, what does he know? Every person here is living on a percentage of your income. First thing I know about you and your money. Every person here is living on a percentage of your income. Second thing I know about you and your money. Most of you do not know what that percentage is. Right? Everybody's living on a percentage. Most of us could not tell what that percentage is. Now, let's just go through a couple of scenarios. Some of you are living on 90 to 95% of your income because you have this 401k or some type of retirement thing where your uh, job automatically takes 5, 10% out and you never see it. And it's a good thing because you never see it because you'd spend it if you saw it, but you don't. So you're living on 90 to 95%. Some of you, many of you, have committed to tithing, so you're taking 10% off the top. You're not going to live on more than 90% because you've already made that decision, and maybe there's a couple of percentage points that you, you save, and so, so you're, you're living on that. Some of you are living on 100% of your income. Every dime that comes in goes out. Amen. Yes. Um, some of you are living on more than 100% of your income because of credit card debt and because of other things like that. It's called non-secured debt. And, uh, and you think if you're making the minimum payment, everything's grand. But the math says if you make the minimum payment while continuing to use that credit card every month, this is by design by the credit card companies because they're not your friend. You will never pay off that credit card in your lifetime. 
So you're living on more than that. So a couple of things I know. Everybody's living on a percentage. Most of us don't know what that percentage is. Now, let me tell you something else I know about you and your money. If you stay right where you are financially, most of you, you will never be the person that God wants you to be. Because you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. That is impossible. God calls us to do certain things, and it's only through obedience that we experience the blessing of God. It's never the other way around. You don't stumble into the blessing of God. You obey your way into the blessing of God. So today, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to dare you to move to God's plan financially. Now, have any of you ever had this thought? If I just made a little bit more money, if I just had a little bit more money, my life would be better. Two of you. Good. Okay, the rest of you can leave because it's not... All right. Yeah, we've all had that thought. Maybe it goes like this. If I just had blank number of dollars, you fill in the blank. All of us have it. I have my number. If I just had another so many hundred dollars, thousand dollars, whatever a month, everything would be fine. And probably every one of us has had that thought, and that's because here's the problem. No matter what it is we want, usually we can't afford what we want. And what we can afford, we don't want. Right? I mean, you, let's just take cars. Ever been to a car? Yeah. Ever been to see Bruce in Athens? Yeah. You're not going to appreciate this. <laughs> Go to a car dealership, not Bruce's in Athens. And, but here's the problem. They want you to test drive. We were talking about this with our kids. They want you to test drive because when you test drive, what happens? You fall in love with the higher class that you can't afford. And actually, they'll tell you you can, and they'll just stretch out the payments till Jesus comes. And, and you know, <laughs> then, because like the, like the ATV, the four-wheelers. I asked somebody the other day, I'm like, okay, $69 a month. For how long? And they said, as long as it takes to pay off. It is forever. And so you go in the car that that you want. It has all of the bells and whistles. You're like, God, this would be the greatest thing in the world, but you can't afford it. And the one you can afford, you're like, I ain't driving that. So we go into debt. And it doesn't matter if it's four-wheelers or boats or houses or cars or stereos. We just think... If I just had a little bit more money, if I had another thousand bucks, I could get that one. I've been to the car auction. We bought our last car from the car auction, 2,800 bucks. And we sure saw a $4,000 car we would rather have had. But we could, (laughs) And actually the one Janie liked the most, I wouldn't let her get in. And it sold for 11 grand. That's why I wouldn't let her get in it because she's like, I love that car. I'm like, you're not touching it because we can't afford it. You know, that type of deal. But that's the thing. We all think if I just had a little bit more money, everything would be all right. If I only had a little more, I could get that 50-inch TV or the leather seats or whatever it is. I've got to tell you something else. That's not true. The issue is not your income. Well, how can I say that? Well, if you're currently living on 100% or more of your monthly income, when your income increases, what happens to your lifestyle? It increases at the same percentage. So whatever percentage you're living at now, if you make no changes, 10 years from now you'll be living at that same percentage. I'm willing to bet you're living at the same percentage now that you were living on 10 years ago. Because as our income increases, our expenses increase. If you don't believe me, think about the last two, three, five raises that you've gotten. Where'd they go? 
Did you increase your savings? Is it fatter today because of the last several raises you've gotten? Did you pay off debt? Did you um, increase your emergency fund? Because we just hope that the washing machine will never break. We don't plan for it eventually breaking. We just pray to God that it will last our lifetime. Or the refrigerator, whatever it is. Did you increase that or did you um, expand your expenses to match it? Well, what tends to happen is as our income increases, also our expenses increase. And we're going we're gonna to show you this with a chart here. Now, if we come to this left side, thank you, Vanna. If we come to this left side here, this vertical thing, this is going to represent money. All right? The universal sign of money there. You got it? You can kind of see it right there at the angle. I'll turn it there. Okay. So this is money. This is very simple, so I'm going to explain it if you can't quite see this. Down here, this represents time. The vertical line represents money. The horizontal line represents time. Now, hopefully, over time, our income goes up. All right? So this is going to be income. Right? Generally, our income has gone up um, over the last 10 years. May or may not be true over the last couple of years, but, it, but in your lifetime, your income is going to go up. The question today, the real issue today is not where our income is. The real issue is where is our spending in relation to our income? Where is our spending in relation to our income? Now, here's, here's the real thing that we're going to talk about, and this is on your listening guide. The distance right here between your spending and your income is called margin. This is what happens at the end of the month after you've paid all of your bills, all of your obligations. Margin is the pile of money that you throw on the table and you say, what are we going to do with all that's left over? Y'all are laughing. What's up with that? If we're honest, we don't have any margin. So, let me, uh, let me say a couple of things. If you have no margin, if there's no space between your income and your spending, do you know what you have? Stress. Right? Show me a couple that has no margin financially. And you know what they fight over? Money. A lot. Show me a couple that has margin financially, and I will show you a couple that never fights over money. And if you surrender your finances to God, God's ways lead to margin. You want to know why? Every good thing you can imagine happens in margin. Peace, relationship, joy, satisfaction, all happens in the margin. The greater your margin, the greater your peace. The greater your margin, the greater your generosity. Some of you are generous. You just ain't got no money. Your heart goes out to people. Oh, dear God, please provide for them, because I can't, because i got no margin. So God knows that if you'll follow His plan financially, it will result in margin, and all good things will result uh, financially from you having margin. Now, God's been around longer than you. Safe to say? And if money is a hot-button issue in your household, maybe we should get His perspective today. God knows a little bit better than us, and He knows that, that money is usually the last thing we surrender to Him. There's a, there's a cartoon I saw years ago where um, the pastor says to the person about to be baptized, everything that goes under this water belongs to God. 
And in the next frame, you see the hand sticking up with the billfold out of the water. And that's typically what happens. The last thing we usually surrender to God is our finances, because we're, we're really afraid that God's going to do something crazy with our finances. But God's going to lead us to margin. Now, let's define financial margin. This is on your listening guide. Real simply, it's cash sources minus cash uses. Financial margin is cash sources minus, minus, minus cash uses. I can't say that. Whatever you have left over is margin, or we can say it better. What comes in minus what goes out, what's left over is margin. And if you want to increase your margin, the place to look is not your income. The place to look is your lifestyle. Where does your lifestyle fall in relation to your income? And let me give you an illustration of this. I've been doing a lot of reading on all of this stuff, and, and uh, I came across an article on the Internet where a man who's 69 years old, his name is Earl Crawley, 69, check this out, he has never made more than $20,000 in a single year. He's a parking lot attendant. 44 years ago, he was working at a bank. One of the bankers pulled him aside. This is all a quote from me. One of the bankers pulls him aside and says, you don't have enough education to make it in the banking industry. You need to do stocks. Long story short, he said, I didn't know what to do. I started working some odd jobs just to get a little bit of money because I had no margin. Started investing. 69, 44 years later, dude has $500,000 in stocks. He's got some margin today. You know how he got to it? He lived on less than he earned. He did it for a long time. Started with a little margin. And, and you want to you break down $20,000 a year? $1,666.66 before taxes per month. That's not a lot of money. Dude said, I'm going to make a decision to live on less than I make. My parents did this. My parents can't believe the amount of money I make. Because back in the day, what I make was a whole lot to my dad. And my parents lived on margin. I didn't know when we had beans and cornbread. I didn't know that meant we were out of our grocery budget. I just thought that was a horrible meal when I was a kid. I like it now. But as a kid, I thought, God, can't mom be more creative than that? And uh, I was too young to know that we were poor and beans and cornbread was the only thing we could afford. Now I love it. Put a little hot sauce on it. Anyway, the issue is not your income. The issue is always your lifestyle. And I was, I was looking through another article and this, this, this article was the best financial advice you've received in your lifetime. And one blogger wrote down what he had heard from his grandfather over and over. And this is on your screen. Check this out. If your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. Looks like it belongs on a church marquee, doesn't it? Um, sorry. Uh, good advice to remember. You're going you're gonna to fall if, if your spending uh, is greater than your income. So, now, not only do you have tension if you're, if you're spending, if there's no margin, if you're spending your income are the same, not only do you have tension, but check this out. If something catastrophic happens in your life, your stress goes to a whole new level. And, and this turmoil that's going on inside you will spill out on all the relationships around you because you will have a new level of stress. The goal is margin. If you have margin, when the unexpected happens, you have peace. And don't you want that? And every one of you going, I sure do. I just can't afford it. I don't have enough money to have margin. And if we let this go on year after year, 
We're going we're gonna to be in trouble because here's the temptation. Temptation is to allow our spending to match our income. No matter where our income is, the temptation is just expand. And the stress is going to increase because the longer you're alive, the more stuff you got, the more it takes to replace the stuff you got. So if your income is greater today than it was 12 years ago, it's going to be harder to replace that income if something catastrophic happens. When Janie and I got married, everything we owned fit in my Honda Accord and she had a little Mazda B2000 pickup. Everything we owned fit in there. I remember moving her from college to, to the house where we were, the duplex where we were going to live. The duplex. We didn't even have enough furniture to fill up a duplex. Then we bought a house. When we moved here 12 years ago, everything we owned fit in a two-car garage. Now, somebody in our church had a four-car garage. He said, I'll let you have two of them. We had enough space in there that we could pack everything we owned, walk around and find it. Now, everything you need to know about the stuff we have can be found by looking in my attic. There is stuff in my attic that we've forgotten that we've had. Here's the point. It takes more to replace the stuff I got today than it did 12 years ago. If our duplex had burned down, 15 bucks would have replaced our, our entire wardrobe back then, you know? But if, if I've got a high-paying job, let's say I have a $100,000 job in Anderson County. Um, not a whole lot of those around. You, you understand what I'm saying? If I've got a $20,000 job, it's not near as hard to find a $20,000 job. If I've got a $100,000 job, it's hard to find that. And I have more stress if something catastrophic happens. So margin is where I need to go. If you have no margin, you are going to pay for it, and everyone around you is going to pay for it in your relationship. So here's the deal. No margin, two things happen on your listening guide. Number one, you rob yourself. You will rob yourself. And number two, you rob God. Now, how do you rob yourself? You rob yourself of ever being able to achieve any financial goals that you have for your future. You rob yourself of being free from debt. You cheat your future. You cheat your children's future. When there's no margin, the loser is us. Just look at our emotions whenever we're stressed financially. If you want to worry your life away, then live with no margin. If you're married and you have no margin, you're going to fight over money. If only we could make more, and that's a lie from hell. The truth from heaven, it's only if you would spend less. When you surrender your finances to God, He's going to lead you to margin. And here's the key. You've got to hear this. You know how God's going to lead you to margin? I'm willing to bet it's not going to be with more income. I think what God is going to have to deal with you and me about, and, and I, we're going through this as well, what God's going to have to deal with us has to do with lifestyle because it's an issue of the heart. And Jesus even said that. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. In Matthew 6, 21. So what God's probably going to do is He's going to deal with you about some heart issues that have to do with lifestyle. Because God knows if He gives you more income, He's going to spend it on me. I love stuff. I love boats. I love ATVs. I love uh, fishing stuff, hunting stuff. Got my eye on a, on a pistol. I don't need a pistol, but it sure would be fun when I go hunting with my high-powered rifle to have a pistol. I mean, I don't need that. But, but I checked my credit score this last, last couple weeks. 
All three major credit reporting agencies, you should do that once a year. And, and you can do that for free annualcreditreport.com. Don't do freecreditreport.com. That's a ripoff. You, you'll end up paying for it. Annualcreditreport.com. You can get all three reporting agencies. That's just a, a free clip there. But I checked my credit score, and it is good. So I could go, and, and if I just follow Lisa, uh, Visa, Lisa's limit, I don't even know who Lisa is. Visa's limit. Lisa's vimit is what I almost said. Visa's limit. Then I could have every one of those things I just mentioned. I got enough credit, I could be in debt up to my eyeballs and have no margin. Or I can do God's limit. And here's the problem. When we, when we get money, what is our first thought? Is it, oh, thank you, God, or is it, I can afford that new whatever? It's usually selfish. Um, and... And if you remember nothing else from the sermon today, remember this. If you have a selfish attitude, you're exhibiting the same attitude as Bart Simpson. Check this out. Bart, would you like to say grace? Dear God, we pay for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. (gasps) (laughs) Only an innocent child could get away with such blasphemy. God bless them all. Amen. We paid for all this stuff, God, so thanks for nothing. Now, you would never say that out loud, but our actions demonstrate it. Um, it's natural to think that if God gives me money, it's for me. It's supernatural to do things God's way. And um, when we say stuff like that, when we, when we spend money on us, what we're really saying is, thank you very much, God, take a hike. We wouldn't say it. We wouldn't pray that. You know, we can't lay beside our bed at night or kneel. Dear God, take a hike financially. We wouldn't say that, but that's what we're demonstrating to God whenever we spend all of our margin on ourselves. We rob God financially. And when we do that, we're telling God to get out of our lives. But we have in the back of our mind this little escape clause that says, Now, God, if I get in trouble, I'm going to be bursting down the doors of the church, praying, begging you to get involved, but for right now, I'm going to spend it on me. And God says, okay, if that's the way you want it, then, then I have to leave because I only bless people who obey me. Blessing comes after obedience. And God says, well, I'm not going to provide. My advice leads to margin. If you have no margin, then it means you've ignored my advice. Every time Janie and I have had no margin in our lives is because we have ignored God's advice. And so we've got to do something about that. Now, let me show you where I got all this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3. This is the last book in the Old Testament. Kind of go halfway and then hang a right. And if you get to, the, if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. Uh, let me give you just a little bit of background. Um, this is 400 years. The last book of the, of the Old Testament is 400 years before Jesus appears on the scene. And, and this is kind of interesting because this is the last recorded word of God we have to the nation of Israel for 40 years before Jesus shows up, before John the Baptist comes on the scene and, and says, Whoa, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is called the 400 years of silence because we have no recorded words of God speaking to anybody for 400 years. Now, in the Old Testament, if just a quick synopsis, what has happened is God says, I'm your God. Do these things. I'll bless you. Well, the children of Israel always run away from God. Uh, they, they turn their backs on God, and then, then when things get bad, they call out to God. God saves them, and they come back to God. And this is a cycle that goes over and over again. 
And God says, if you do not follow me, I'm going to turn you over to a foreign nation. You will become their slaves. Well, fast forward, here's what happens. The Babylonians come in, destroy Jerusalem, the temple. They take captive the best and brightest of all of Israel, take them to Babylon, put them into, into uh, slavery. The best and brightest eventually, you know, that's like Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They all became leaders in the kingdom because God blessed them. But anyway, 70 years they're held in captivity. And towards the end of that 70 years, they begin to cry out to God. God says, okay, I'll let you go. And then they come back and, and uh, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall around Jerusalem. They rebuild, Ezra rebuilds the temple. And everything is great for about 100 years. All right, so 400 years before Jesus, 100 years after they've come back from slavery in Babylon. And you've got to remember that this land was called the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the promised land that God led them to. You remember all that? Back when they were in Egypt? God says, I'll lead you to the promised land. And when they went to spy out the land, grapes and, and fruit and all of this stuff just grew in abundance on its own. You didn't even have to work the land. This was incredible land. That's why it was the promised land. God gives you the best. But when you disobey God, stuff happens. So, they're in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and all of a sudden their crops begin to fail. They've never had to work at crops. The crops are failing. Now they hear rumors that there's going to be an invasion from a foreign army. And all of the people in Israel start going, where's God? I thought we were the people of God. What's the matter with God? And Malachi shows up and he goes, I'll tell you what's the matter. And here it is in verse 7. God is speaking here and He says, Since the time of your ancestors, you have disobeyed My rules and have not kept them. Return to Me and I will return to you, says the Lord All-Powerful. But you ask, how can we return? So, objection, God. We didn't know we'd gone anywhere. How can we return when we're right here? God says, okay, you want to know? You've left My ways and you've robbed Me. Objection, God. How have we robbed you? What, what do you? How do you rob God? Get your pistol. Stick him up. I mean, where is he? How do you rob God? And look what God says. Verse 8. You have robbed me in your offerings and the tenth of your crops, so a curse is on you because the whole nation has robbed me. Now, let's, let's, let me do a little bit of math for you right here. The Israelites in the Old Testament were supposed to give 20%. We have people complain about 10%. The tithe is called 10%. They were supposed to give 20% off the top, first part of their income to God. The first 10% of that went to the temple to fund the work of God. It paid for the construction of the temple, paid for the priests, it paid for all of the ongoing work of God's kingdom. The second 10% was to fund all of the feasts. If you read the Old Testament, you know that there are seven major feasts, like Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, Boots. There's seven major feasts, and, and they were expected to attend these feasts, and it took a lot of money, so the second 10% went to fund the feasts. And then every third year, so every third year, that 10% that went to fund the feasts was left in the community to feed the poor. 20% off the top. That's a lot of money. So God said to them, you've robbed me of this 20%. And it wasn't an honest mistake. This was the deliberate disobedience on your part. And they're thinking, 20%, that's a lot. I can do a lot for me with 20%. And so the percentage over this hundred years that they've come back from captivity, the percentage got less and less. And they started doing leftover giving. You know, whatever's leftover at the end of the month, we'll give you that, God. And so... Eventually, the portions got smaller and smaller and smaller. 
And so they ask God, how have we robbed you? God says, you have completely consumed on yourselves what was supposed to fund my kingdom. Ow. Ow, I, I don't like that answer, God. And God says, because you've done that, I've got to exit the scene. Because money is a big fat test. God is testing our hearts to see where we are with the money that He gives us. And, and the Bible says that all good things come from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows in James. Every good thing you have comes from God. And God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. And when we live marginless lives, we rob God. And if you rob God, He says, I have to go now because you've uninvited me from your finances. Good luck. Have a nice day. So God turned His back on the Israelites. Things got really bad and the Israelites looked around and, and they got worried, which is what people with marginless lives do. They look around and they say, oh, we can't do this. And then when everything is bleakest, they ask God for help. And God says, okay, you want the solution? We read it back in verse 7. Return to me and I will return to you. Return, God says. Okay, well, how do we return? Verses 10 and 11. Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn, so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord All-Powerful. I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. I will stop the insects so they won't eat your crops. The grapes won't fall from your vines before they are ready to pick, says the Lord All-Powerful. God says, test me. I triple dog dare you to test me. And you know what they say? I can't afford it, God. And by the way, shouldn't, shouldn't we wait until we have margin, God? Shouldn't we wait until we have margin and then start giving? And God goes, nope. Test me. Invite me back in. Okay, um, how, okay uh, God, help me to have margin. Nope. God says, no. Test me. Invite me back in. Well, how do we invite you back in? 20% off the top. Oh, no, God. Don't ask me to give 20% off the top. And God says, go ahead and plant your crops. But who is it that keeps the pests from destroying your crops? Who is the one who brings rain? Or in our day, we say, oh God, my, my, my boss isn't a Christian. He wouldn't understand. And God says, I can change the hearts of kings, but you don't trust me. And if you don't trust me, I'm not going to bless you because I can't trust you. Money's a test to see where your heart is. Oh, Lord, help me have margin. No. Because if He gave us income, you know what we'd do? We'd ramp up our lifestyle. It's just, it's just the way we are. The richest people I know are percentage priority givers. And you go, yeah, because they can afford to be, because they're rich. Uh-uh. They started years ago. The richest people I know started years ago. Percentage priority giving. You know what that means? It means they decide at the first of the month they're going to give a percentage to God. Before the rest of the month happens, before they see what's going to happen, they're demonstrating with their money that they trust God. And God, you can't outgive Him. God says, there's a person I can trust. I'm going to give them more. There are people that give to this church that have, that have never been in our church before. They're percentage priority givers. And they believe what our church does. We have folks every month that give to our church that aren't members here. Because they believe in what we're doing and, and God has given them margin and out of their margin, not only do they attend their church and tithe to their church, over and above the tithe they give to this church and it's lots of money. <laughs> and every, every month we get the checks in the mail and I'm just amazed at God 
And I said, thank you, God, for providing some folks who are percentage priority givers. When you give to God, you demonstrate, you show God that you're for real. And God, God says, when you do that, here's, here's the key. This is the key. He breaks materialism in your life. When you choose up front, and you know, there's been many times we've lived on 90% of our income, saved not a dime since we started the church, but we are not going to rob God. We've always said, God, we're going to give you... There's been a couple of times we've been... There's nothing in the checking account, but we said, okay, God, this is for you, and God has always come through. And so we've got to choose to move to margin. That's the key. You know how people get margin? They choose to have it. And, and we're going to come back to this in the marriage series, and we're not just going to talk about principles. We're going to give you very practical steps of how you can have margin in your life. So the marriage series is not just for married people, by the way. Uh, we're going to talk to singles. We're going to talk about how to recognize potential mates. If you're single or single again, wouldn't you like to know how to recognize potential mates? Teresa, don't you wish we'd done this before you found Jeff? We could have helped you out. Um, you know, it's too late now because we did the walk of death and everything, so y'all are, y'all are in a covenant. Um, sorry, man. I just thought of that this morning, um, and I just happened to see Teresa, and it reminded me of that. <laughs> the secret... Yeah, he controls the sound. It's really not good to mess with the sound, man. Yep, there he went. The secret to margin in your life is to decide. And, and I'll just tell you this. If you are not married and you are thinking of getting married, I've not done this, but from now on in any pre-marriage counseling I do, I'm going to make the couple tell me the percentage of their income that they're going to live on. You've got to decide... And, and everybody's going to live on a percentage. Don't you want to be the one who decides? Not Lisa or Visa or whoever has that credit card. Lisa's limit. Visa's limit. Choose. The blessings of God always come after obedience. So invite Him in today. How do you invite Him in? You give. Now, I know some of you are, some of you are struggling right now. Because you know this, and, and guilt, like Alex said earlier, we're not trying to guilt anybody of anything. This is between you and God. I do know who gives and who doesn't give in the church, and I'm, I'll, I'm willing to bet you'll never be able to tell by how I treat people. You'll never know the difference. Because that's not my job to try to guilt you into giving. And we always say to guests, don't give. This is a gift to you. Our 101 class that we have today, we'll talk about once you sign up, membership shows us who we can count on. But if you're a guest, we don't expect guests to give. We have some folks that, that have been attending our church for a couple of years and still hadn't joined. Some of them give because they say, we believe in what the church is doing. We need to ramp up their commitment a little bit to get them to go through 101. But if you're not a church member, we don't expect you to give. We expect our church members to give. Their bills to pay, their things to do. We're about to, um, we're in the process of closing our loan for the skating rink. We're purchasing the skating rink and the, and the house next door. Um, still some things that have to, have to happen there, but we're supposed to close on, on October 15th. Um, we're going to be asking you folks to, to contribute financially. We're going to ask you to, to serve. Oh my soul, it stinks in there. 
So we've got to go in and just, just gut the inside and, and do some cleaning. And we've, we're going to build some walls for the children's area. Basically, the front third is going to be children. The, the middle third is going to be a, a fellowship hall. And the back third is going to be a worship area. Um, we're going to do a whole lot of stuff. And, and I'll just be quite honest with you. When we did this room that you're sitting in, it literally almost killed me. Because there were many a night I was the only person here. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not telling you to guilt you. I'm just saying, I can't do that again. My family can't take it. I'm older now. <laughs> yeah, I know that's right, baby. Thank you. I get up and, and it takes me a while to, to get rolling nowadays. Um, we just, we're going to need some help. And, and several folks just can't wait to help. We're excited about that. Once we get the, 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 uh, closing paper signed. We're going to jump on it, and hopefully by Christmas we're in our new building, which is on the first floor. And I'm older now, and I hate three flights of stairs. And um, so anyway, we're going to ask you folks to get involved, and we're going to ask you to invite people. And one of the easiest ways to invite people is this this marriage thing. Two to tango. It's kind of funny when we chose the title for this. We didn't think about it this way, but you know when, when you usually say it takes two to tango, what are you talking about? What? I can't hear you. Arguing. Arguing, fighting. It takes two to tango. Well, then when we picked out all of the topics we were going to talk about, you know what we did? We picked all the topics that you fight about in marriage. <laughs> takes two to tango. Well, we're going to show you through dancing lessons right here. We've got wooden floors. We'll throw down the, what is it, cornmeal? Cornmeal. What's the other one? Cornstarch. We're not going to throw that down. I always have to be reminded, I forget. But it, we'll slide around. Ballroom dancing is a blast. Janie and I did 12 weeks of it last year. We had more fun doing that. I had more fun laughing at the guys in this room who did ballroom dancing with us. They laughed at me too. It was, it was a, but it's a blast. And if you're single, uh, the, the dance instructor, she's wonderful. She said, singles come on, we'll rotate you. You know, so come on and dance and, and we'll have a great time and it's a little bit cheaper for singles because we know singles got less margin. <laughs> I don't know. That, never mind. Um, but come on, we want you to have a good time. But how hard is it to say, hey, we're having a marriage thing because what do you hear at work? You usually hear if somebody's upset. <laughs> you hear a lot at work, yes. Listen for someone who says... God, my marriage could be better. Ooh, boom, pop that in their hands. Come to our church. And then, um, if nothing else, invite them to dancing lessons, and they'll see we have a good time, and they'll want to come. Would you take your registration cards?